0: Love, talk,
1: radio. Hi, I'm Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, an internal audit and compliance consulting firm headquartered in Los Angeles, California. I'm also a well-known speaker on topics like the new COSO 2013 framework, SOX 404 quality assessment reviews, internal auditing, and related topics. Today's interview is with Bill... Shufflebine. Hopefully I said that right, Bill. That was um, good
0: enough. <laughs> All
1: right. Bill is the COO and Managing Director of uh, Consulting at Tech Law Solutions in Washington, D.C. He is a C-level executive with twenty over 20 years of experience in professional services management, consulting, and support services. He has extensive experience in information technology, corporate compliance, and electronic discovery also known as e-discovery he has performed technology compliance and e-discovery consulting for companies that you may have heard of like intel kpmg nestle microsoft Philips electronics and pfizer so i became aware of bill's work after reading a, a great article on unstructured data in the journal of accountancy and we were lucky to have him here as our guest today Welcome, Bill.
0: Well, thank you very much, Sonia. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah, we were really excited um, to schedule this interview because I I personally was very intrigued about your article on uh, unstructured data. And, And For our listeners, could you share with us what was your inspiration, first and foremost, for even writing this article?
0: Yeah, you know, it was it was the confluence of really three different kind of threads. I'd say, you know, the first is uh, my co-author and I, uh, Chris Beach. uh, He's a forensic accountant of about forty years. Excuse me, and I've I've been in uh, litigation myself first as a practicing attorney and then from a technical consulting standpoint for you know a good twenty five years. And one of the things we noticed is that when some kind of internal control breakdown or risk you know emerges into an investigation or a litigation. Um, the first thing that the attorneys and the regulators all reach for is they go to the email, <clears throat> you know, it, it's, it's in the email or in the other unstructured data, PowerPoints and so on, where they get the story. How did this happen? Uh, what, you know, how'd this come about? Uh, and of course, later on, then they argue about, well, you should have known it was coming. Well, how could I have known it was coming? You know, all of that's happening out in unstructured data. It doesn't happen in the, you know, the accounting system, so to speak, so to speak, um, Then another thing, this is all kind of, you know, that whole area of of litigation um, has been really developing. And one of the reasons is, and this is the second thread, um, there's just an incredible increase, especially since the Internet, you know, came alive in 1996, an incredible increase in the volume. And the proliferation of the forms of communication <clears throat> um, that people participate in, all, the, all all happening at the same time that corporations are becoming less centralized. About you know the corporate organizations becoming less centralized, less able to kind of assert top down controls. So all that's happening. And then and the third thing, really, from the standards and regulator side of things, you know, we notice there's a lot of a lot more pressure coming from COSO. You know, for example. Um, you know, to expand beyond inter- internal controls into a larger risk management um, and risk mitigation uh, policies, procedures, and and so on. And we see the same thing, you know, in in legal, the legal market coming from uh, regulators, statutes. You know, I was just at a conference where they were talking about uh, the FCPA, you know, the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, <clears throat> and um, and how. <clears throat> Uh, corporations they used to have sort of a, an excuse. Well, yeah, we did our due diligence. We just didn't know that this uh, employee of ours was bribing a Chinese official. Um, what's happening is the government is getting less and less um, forgiving of that sort of thing, and saying, "Look, we don't care what your excuse is. We're going to hold you liable, and in some cases, criminally liable for not having caught that type of problem." You know, and those are the sorts of problems we see out in email. You know, for example. So, so those sorts of things made us really focus on the fact that. There's a lot of risk happening at a greater pace within corporate organizations and kind of the standard models of internal controls don't catch it or don't catch it fast enough or catch it after the fact um, rather than how do we catch it on the front end while it's still emerging. And so we wrote that article really to talk about mining and monitoring email, social media, and so on in order to identify emerging risks before they turn into a controls problem or litigation.
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of like companies don't know what, what they don't know. And, but the problem is with this unknown element, there's a lack of a, of a risk-based uh, approach to that monitoring of unstructured data. That, that, that part struck me the most because, like you stated earlier, I mean, the technology, first off, the, the communication style, for example, Twitter, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: 140 characters. <laughs> so, right. There's data out there. Okay, so some of it's going to be keyword issues um, and, and, like you said, emails. Uh, you know, It's not just only the content of the email, but who, who's it going to and then timing of it, what attachments, like you were mentioning PowerPoint. So companies are, are making a very broad assumption that everybody's doing the right thing. Right. There's that. Right. That the due diligence process is well. I got a sub certification from that, um, you know, subsidiary I have in Hong Kong that's responsible for doing all the financial reporting for all my Asia, right, uh, mm-hmm. entities, and they just submit a document saying everything, all the controls are, are fine, and and therefore I'm I'm good to go. But like you said, stated earlier, regulators are starting to put the pressure on saying your due diligence really wasn't good enough, you know, that, that, right. you know, this bribery issue, et cetera, it was, it, it could have been caught. Uh, it's your responsibility to have a, a more sophisticated monitoring process for these items and boom, here comes the penalty. And I think that's what's causing people, it's, it's catching them by surprise because before, you know, it wasn't, ma- let's say a major trend, but now, like you were mentioning the FC, uh, for the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, it's becoming a bigger and bigger issue, which kind of well, leads me into. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, you know, that's exactly right, and and it's you know, one of the issues is just the speed at which something uh, a risk can emerge into a problem and go uh, viral um, is just so you know even even compared to 10 years ago when we had corporate email and there was some internet email going on, but now things can really blow up. A pro- serious problems for for corporations can, can really blow up in a matter of 24 hour period. And so all of the post facto um, reporting or investigations or whatever are often too late. And, and in some sense, I mean, this is, this is really one of the, the things that we toyed with, with the uh, uh, journal of accountancy editors, you know, was kind of what, what angle to take on this. And and as we were finishing up this article, actually, you know, the whole issue with the NSA obviously monitoring you know, telephone metadata and and emails and, and emails and so on kind of blew up and we thought, well, maybe we could take that angle and we thought that's rather negative angle. But it points out the fact that the, the government has this same sort of problem with regards to terrorist organizations worldwide is how do you how do you mine the information out there in order to get advance warning of problems rather than waiting until you know the Twin Towers blow up um, and then saying afterwards well who did this and going to Afghanistan so it's really the same sort of problem but corporations have you know their own serious problems and how do you deal with it It, one of the things that we noticed in the literature uh, and then I'll be done um, one of the things we noticed in the literature around risk management and internal controls was everybody was noting the problem COSA was and some of the bigger players in the industry and they would get to the point where the question is, well, what do I do about this? And the, then you'd sort of get, and I'm going to say somewhat weak answers, what I'd call people process answers. You know, we need to form a committee focusing on risk, train people. These are all good things, but, but um, the people process answers need to be supplemented, we thought, with going right at the data, which you can do in volume. You can do it with machines, and, you know, the technology, of course, is the there today, which it wasn't 10 years ago, to really sift through things and look for serious problems.
1: Yeah, and, and talking about sifting through things and, and looking at serious problems, so the CEO of Mozilla, uh, I, I saw this in the paper um, yesterday, that um, there were certain people, uh, a, a group of, well, it 's a group about uh, marriage proposals, et cetera, and, and long story short, the CEO had made a very minor contribution on something that was uh, I, for this one group very uh, hot topic. They went mm-hmm. online to um, an online forum called OKCupid, okay and they were blasting the CEO of Mozilla. okay This is the guy who actually started. Mozilla, it's it's, it's a web browser, very powerful, you know, uh, Firefox, it's an open source kind of thing. Well, the board sent a press release, an email blast, too, saying, we are so sorry that we didn't catch this earlier, this firestorm of this negative social media blasting of our CEO. So he resigned and stepped down, and I thought, oh, my God, here's – first off, it's an online dating form to begin with. Like, right. So right. If, if you want to talk about resignations and the impact of not monitoring, the, the speed of which this negative PR could, could impact your job, um, you know, and, and then having board members say we are to their shareholders, right, we're sorry we didn't see this. We, we should right. have reacted faster. You follow what I'm saying? And uh, by the yeah. way, this, this only spanned for um, less than two months, so it tells you the speed of which of how this is actually running. And, and having those monitoring controls are critical because, it, again, people are having to resign over the lack of, you know, doing some damage control. And who knows what have, what could have happened had they kind of doused the flames a little bit or said something, you know, because right. it, it just went viral. That's and what it's happened. Not,
0: it's, yeah. And it's not just an issue of somebody losing his job. I mean, this sort of thing happens at the lower levels of organizations all the time. It doesn't matter. But at a certain level of the organization, especially the CEO, I mean, it can have an impact on, on uh, share value <clears throat> and the stock price. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we talked about really is, is you know, what, what does an organization focus on and and, um, you know, You know, one of the things we talked about is the fact that you really need to pay attention to the quarterly agenda of the board of directors. I mean, they're the ones who, in the end, have the fiduciary duty um, for – identifying and managing the kinds of risks that impact uh, share price. <clears throat> and, and if those things, you know, and so, of course, obviously any kind of scandal related to the CEO is a major issue. Um, there's a number of other risks they have, and how can we monitor and how can we mine for that sort of risk ahead of time before it happens, or as in this case you're, you're mentioning, um, have some kind of monitoring program going on so that there's certain kinds of, you know, there, there's, there's um, companies out there that focus on customer sentiment, Monitoring to say um, how is out on the internet they're they're pulling all kinds of internet unstructured data sources trying to figure out how um, their current product is being received in the market before some you know mommy blog for example shoots down their pro- entire product in forty eight hours of blogging you know and and this is really a similar thing i mean a, a good Marketing department should probably at this point, and there are there are tools and, and services out there that will monitor for, for these kinds of risks you 're saying of negative sentiment that is emerging very quickly and and you know be able to report that to the board before their next quarterly meeting right, right. and it 's too late yeah
1: yeah and and now I wanted to kind of switch gears on something that 's been a hot topic things that that i 've been seeing on various blogs et etc and, and that 's the updated, some people call it the Refreshed COSO Framework. And and in it, it finally (laughs) clarifies that information technology, right, IT general controls should have its own principle, okay? And I wanted to get your thoughts and, and, and share with our listeners, how does unstructured data fit in or link to, if you will, to IT general controls for most organizations.
0: Yeah. So, so a couple of things. I mean, just starting with <clears throat> with COSO. Um, you know, it, it's. I mean, it's I think excellent that they finally articulated that principle. It, it reflects, I think, something everybody understood. But it's it's clearly now articulated and, and set some standards out there. Um, you know, of course, they, they aren't and shouldn't be um, specific about all the little granular details about um, IT controls. But it does it does you know, um, there are other, um, <clears throat> you know, like ISACA, you know, the Information Systems Audit and Patrol Association, I think it is, or COBIT, or even ISO. You know, we're ISO 27001 certified for our information management of our client data. There's those kinds of frameworks which drive down into the details of what this means. And, and I think it's, you know, basically COSO saying you need to have those sorts of processes in place um, it, for, you know, to, for managing um, IT and in controlling, you know, technology. Um, I'd back up from that, saying, okay, now what's the relationship to, to unstructured data? You know, it's kind of interesting when we were when we were writing um, this article, and, and it's been in process for probably a year and a half. Um, the uh, a lot of the feedback we had, including we had some uh, some very interesting discussions with the Journal of Accountancy editors, who were very sharp people, um, and um, they uh, were talking about, you know, what do you mean by unstructured data? And I guess that's probably something to You know, probably should just describe that for your listeners, Um, you know, generally, you know, structured data is, is that data you find inside the accounting system, the HRIS system, it's, you know, it's got a database around it and it's, you know, rows and columns of numbers, that sort of thing. When we talk about unstructured data, it's a, um, it's a term of art that exists in the IT world. You'll find IBM and EMC and all the big technology players distinguishing between structured and unstructured data. Now, it's technically true that there's, there's really no such thing as unstructured data. You know, even email has a structure to it. It's got a to and a from and a, you know, yeah. And a that date sort of thing.
1: and a time. And it,
0: exactly. Yeah. So it's technically structured. And what we toyed with, and this is the interesting thing, we toyed with abandoning that term, maybe thinking it was un- confusing to some people. So, and so, you know what we're really talking about here, if you were to really hone in on it, is this is the data that's essentially unmanaged. <clears throat> this is yeah. the stuff. You, you know, what do you, you're, you think about the accounting system and, you know, the audit process and so on. That, that data is highly managed. A lot of eyeballs on it. You know, everything ties out. But when you talk about the email system, it's just stuff where people say things and do things, and it's, it's backed up, you know, but it's really essentially unmanaged. And and the drivers behind you know and, and that's just becoming an increasing problem because there's big drivers behind that lack of management. It's the decentralized organizations and and the the mobile the mobile devices and end users are now sophisticated about what they say where and in which forum. You know should I should I send this on my personal email account rather than the corporate email account just in case it's uncovered and the volume and the speed of all of that. So it's it's essentially unmanaged and so when COSO says something like. <clears throat> um, you know, you need to have controls over, you know, things including unstructured data, um, you know, that really means something. And so I, I, if I go out to kind of the typical frameworks for, for IT controls, <clears throat> probably the, the areas that come to mind are physical security and logical security around the data, um, and then what is your incident management and your problem management uh, response when something happens, um, but I would also say, and this is not driven by any of the frameworks, there's still the problem of content and volume, and you know you'll you'll find a lot of, of organizations, especially driven by the general counsel, um, who have who are developing information governance programs to do things like just eliminate any email older than six months unless it has you know there's a really good business purpose for keeping it. Because in the end. You, know, you can have good physical and logical controls around the email, but the content of what's in there can still blow up uh in the organization's face you know if they have litigation and you know you look at some of the you know i mean I think it was a single email from Bill Gates that you know um really was at play in their antitrust issues you know uh, several years ago and <clears throat> so so there's there's how do you control the content? Um, but the flip side of that is, as well, all of that data, and this is the, the point we make in the article, to the extent that that data is out there, um, it's also an asset. It's, it's, a, it's a tool for you to go out and figure out um, and identify risks that you wouldn't be able to identify if the data didn't exist. And it, so it goes kind of beyond even the IT controls around physical and logical security and so on.
1: Yeah, some of our clients are taking, so to your point about uh, limiting the the space and or date, right, of an email staying in the system. Right. Some clients are are making a routine training, uh, most of it's annual, and saying to their, especially in the finance and HR department, if it's really important, that email, to support a conclusion, okay, we're talking significance, and they kind of lay out what the significance are, you know, what's the criteria, you should PDF it, you follow then yep. it, it's it's something that you PDF, but in six or nine months, it's gone, right? So right. you put it in a folder, so that email is there as a supporting uh, document, but before or after, you know what I mean in terms of emails, but if it was just that one for a conclusion, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's the one you save, you follow. So therefore, that record retention policy per email account is – Good because they're telling the team, you know, with these exceptions, you know, if you really think it's that important to keep that email, there's there's a lot of different software products that can PDF that thing, and in the worst case scenario, if you don't have a PDF uh, application add-in add-in tool, print it, scan it, or fax it to yourself, <laughs> and
0: right? Put it in the you know, email. Yeah, I, I've worked on a, a, a large number of those kinds of projects as, as, a, as a consultant, and and it kind of it really depends on the culture of the organization how um, strict they want to be, but you know, you are able to implement um, controls in a, in a wide variety of, of, of means. Uh, just to give you an example, that's really similar to what you're talking about. Um, I worked on a project is a very large tobacco company that you would um, recognize. And tobacco companies and pharmaceutical companies, by the way, are are well known litigation risks you know if you 're in the litigation industry, you know they 're constantly sued you know for right or for wrong um, <clears throat> and so they 're very sensitive to that sort of thing and in, you know a single email again can be can be the end of a company if the wrong person says the wrong thing about nicotine, for example, or jokingly you know um, it says something about nicotine that can be used by the opposing side, that can be the end of your case and the end of your company and so what you know what this one company did is they developed a policy that that all email is purged anywhere it is, anywhere it sits, whether it sits on the desktop or in the email server or in an archive um, after 30 days, a very short period of time. And their method is you must print it out. They want it on paper. They don't want it electronically available even in PDF form or you can save an Outlook message just out to your desktop if you want. They don't want it in electronic form. They want it in paper, and that forces uh, end users to really think through what they save and um, – but they also have to be you know the key thing is the governance on this because you really have to get to the point where um, everybody understands it and complies it's got to be driven down to the lowest level supervisor that this is what we do otherwise those sorts of policies there's a hundred ways that end users get around them and of course select governance and behavior aspect of these programs uh, is, is ends up being the most important
1: right and I kind of wanted to dovetail off that last comment I mean in your opinion You know, what are the top five risk areas when when you're dealing with unstructured data in an organization?
0: Yeah, um, you know, so just um, off the top, I would say something like this. First of all, um, email and Word files and PowerPoints and Excel spreadsheets and accounting are all, you know, pretty well managed from an IT control standpoint. If what you're focused on is um, disaster recovery and, you know, logical access around, File shares and who can get into the email system and hack it—that sort of thing. And those sorts of controls are, are pretty good. Um, the risks you're seeing, I think, <clears throat> are just from the the proliferation of the sheer number of access points. Now, now, you know, going back ten years, you know, all of us who were CIOs were really worried about just connecting to the internet because as soon as you do, you're networking with the world, and so the you know the the number of problems you have to secure against uh, is huge but we're sort of seeing it now with um a different issue and that's that's the the you know y- the mobility issue you got people with you can 't even distinguish between the different types of devices there's you know there 's so many different types of phones which morph into pads you know on tablets which morph into computers or thin clients and so on and those those and, and, and of course also the different communication avenues that people have from, you know, people nowadays have corporate email, but they usually have several personal email accounts, and email is is kind of old news now. They're out on Twitter, they're in other kinds of Facebook and other kinds of social media, doing a mix of personal and corporate activity. And and, and, and often not knowing. Uh, I remember, you know, several years ago when it became a big issue. I, I think it was the Bush administration when a lot of the government, uh, high-level government, <clears throat> um, um, you know, employees. You know, we're talking the, the president's inner circle. were doing a lot of their communication, kind of sometimes on the. Uh, government uh, email system and sometimes on their Republican National Committee uh, email system and of course there's a huge amount of controls and law and regulation around the government email system None of which apply to the RNC's system, <clears throat> and and then it becomes an issue of if you know how do we get that stuff? How do we put it in the you know, the national archives because the stuff is all records and and so on. And you have the same the same uh, you know problems in uh, the corporate environment now. How do you get people to do and not do certain things on Facebook and you know the corporate fa- you know Facebook account versus the uh, the personal? So that that whole commingling of the personal and the business through so many different communication mechanisms and devices, I think is really the the kind of next big challenge um, from a risk standpoint. Um, And and also, again, always complicated by the fact that organizations are constantly decentralizing, going to, you know, less hierarchical controls and the speed and the volume with, with which a single person can cause problems. Um, That again, you know, so that speaks to, I think the risk side. And again, I would also point out, though, there's also the opportunity side of that. And this is where you see this in every industry. You've got all these risks, but now you have the same people using technology to say, well, how can I monitor and mine and proactively see what my problem is using technology? I've got technology causing me risks. How can I use the technology to go out and opportunistically, you know, discover those risks? Uh, And that was kind of the point of our article.
1: Yeah. And most of the clients that we're seeing right now in terms of of you know, key risks. You know, surrounding that unstructured data. Definitely, logical access. Right? Who's got the lo- in terms of levels of access, et cetera? And then, and then this whole thing about devices. So, mm-hmm. there is very little to stop someone from sending from a corporate email account to their personal email account. Right? And then, right. And then, and then, what are those devices actually doing? Uh, in terms of, of access rights, and then just the sheer number of accounts. So, like you were say, stating earlier, it's like it's not uncommon for one individual to have three personal emails, right? I mean, think about right. the different profiles that you have out on the internet, from LinkedIn to Twitter to you know what have you. Right. And, th- and then this whole monitoring risk, um, you know, that that in the COSO framework is just it has its own component, right? <laughs> that has its own right. two principles with, with like a bunch of different. Um, avenues to deal with, so you know the risks that you were mentioning definitely tie into not only the coastal framework, just something that I'm seeing in the field uh, uh, today, which actually kind of leads me into to skill sets. Um, so, I mean, what's what's your thought on key skills that you think you know the internal audit profession, right? The internal auditor, right. what what is it that they need to have to to have the ability to assess like the company's unstructured data challenges, those risks that we're, we're talking about.
0: Yeah, you know, and, and I'm certainly no internal audit expert, you know, but um, I've been a CIO and worked with those folks for a long time, and, and like I say, my, my co-author is is obviously familiar with that as a forensic accountant, and I've had a lot of discussions with him, um, and it's, it's certainly, you, you know, you understand this extremely well. Uh, my my sense is <clears throat> that the um, audit process, as I, you know, as I mentioned, is somewhat focused on. Um, a post facto you know the, it, it's, it's focused generally on the structured data and on the post facto results you know a quarterly or annual sort of sort of audit and and the the challenge and and i think there's been a lot of progress um on on um, for the structured data at least, there's tools, technologies, and so on. Very much focused on on continuous auditing and monitoring of you know the expense reimbursements, you know to look for fraud, fraud detection in the structured data and so on. So I think there's a lot of that going on. Um, in my mind, the the, um, the probably the biggest issue is is really kind of increasing the awareness and the understanding of the internal audit uh, prof- uh, internal audit professionals. Um, that it's out in the unstructured data. Go, go talk to the lawyers because the lawyers, you know, who don't focus on anything until the risk has developed into an outright problem. Um, but is that, that all of the development of the major risks, the thing, you know, the CEO said something and now he's fired and the stock price drops, you know, that kind of thing is all developing in broadly, you know, the unstructured data. It's people are sending emails they're discussing things. You mentioned earlier, it's not just the content. It's do I have – do I have employees sending emails back and forth with Chinese government officials? Are they sending encrypted attachments? That could be good because you want to encrypt certain kinds of things, but it could be bad if the kinds of things they're encrypting are things we don't want them to encrypt. Um, it's it's a flag of sorts. Do I have um, a salespeople, you know, um, regularly corresponding with competitors' email domains? You know, uh, so there's there's certain things like that that. Um, really are the telltale of who's beginning to talk about something, who's beginning to do something that, you know, the trouble with unstructured data is it's recorded. If they do something totally offline and oral, verbal, you know, what do you do about that? But but the, the flip side is people don't do that anymore. They they are recording it all in some kind of communication format or other. And that's good if you mine it, but it's bad because it can be uncovered, <clears throat> like your Mozilla example. Um, so So I think just Generally, understanding that that is where the risks develop and can be caught is is probably a, a change in focus. And I think the biggest reason you might not want to deal with that um, is that it's big and it's problematic. What do I do? How do I tackle that? How do I, you know? And I think the an- the short answer to that, and this is kind of the second piece, is <clears throat> I think an understanding that the technology is developing rapidly for mining and monitoring for those kinds of risks in unstructured data, just as it has over the last, I'd say, less than 10 years. But, you know, there's a lot of tools now, um, you know, enterprise, you know, resource planning systems, ERPs, accounting systems, for doing a kind of continuous auditing and monitoring, I'd say. The technology is now there to do it for really key risks out in the unstructured data. That awareness and saying I can do something about it is probably – one of the key things. It's not really a skill set. <clears throat> it's, it's that awareness. Um, I think the second thing is from a skill set standpoint, um, then, is to have that – now, this is you – know, I don't know if this is a skill set, but is to make sure now you're having that dialogue with your IT folks, consultants, and so on around in, – in the risk management space about what I can do about them. You know, I've got all that big data, right? We've all heard the phrase big data. I've got all that out there. How can I mine and monitor that? Start thinking about it. IT people have been doing this for 15-plus years. Um, when you think about it, the the risks that IT people face, you know, the risks of network intrusion and the risks of spam, of a spam or, or viruses and so on, it used to be it was a post-facto enterprise. You would, you know, the virus-checking <coughs> companies of the world – published signatures of known viruses and you would constantly compare, you know, every email coming in, does this thing have a virus against the known viruses? The problem was, that it's the new virus. You remember there wasn't that long ago that, you know, every other day we woke up and it would be on CNN that there was some kind of virus hitting everybody you know, right. around the globe. Well, yeah, one of these, Yeah,
1: and, and there was like a subject line on the header, like, watch out for, yeah, I exactly. love you, or something like that.
0: Yep, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 what, and you don't see that as much anymore, and that's because in the IT world, the tools have gotten very sophisticated in in looking for and predicting problematic things you know I- I- uh, before the fact so i 'm not just looking for the after the fact for uh, you know viruses with known signatures but i 'm looking for virus behavior of something new and different. And and so the tools, and so there's a number of areas in IT where they've done this. So you talk to an IT person and you say, you know, your your CIO or whoever and say, we really need to get at, you know, our SCPA risks in, uh, you know, in Shanghai Um, and get them thinking in this, down the same vein and you'll find that you have some really good partners there who can make that transition and start talking about possible tools and approaches. Um, You know, and I guess, you know, the other point I'd, I'd make is, when yeah, uh, internal audit folks think in terms of controls, uh, when it comes to this kind of you know the risks of, that are you know latent out in unstructured data, um, the, the, the probably that from from easiest and least expensive uh, to hardest and most difficult, the, the way to think about attacking it is <clears throat> mining kind of on. Periodic basis, you know, mining certain chunks of unstructured data for potential problems is cheaper and easier than kind of an ongoing monitoring of it. And then monitoring, automated monitoring is going to be cheaper and easier than actually managing, you know, managing in the sense of controlling what's going on out in unstructured data from a risk standpoint um, is the hardest thing. You know, how do you control what people do and what, what avenues they, uh, you know, when you just think about all the different devices and so on that people communicate on and the accounts that they communicate on, how do you manage it? How do you control it? There are ways, but that is some of the most difficult stuff to do where mining and monitoring for certain kinds of risks at least, you know, like you said, you know, risks regarding our highest level executives and, you know, the, PR, or, um, you know, um, blow-ups or something like that. Those sorts of things, I think, are easy to, relatively easy to, to mine and monitor for. Without, I don't know how you control them always.
1: Yeah, and in terms, of, so when I was in in at university, they, so the audit classes really dealt with account balances, pieces of paper, um, and then when we got to the IT element of, of auditing, okay it was generally, it was around physical security, logical access, uh, you know, type of security issues. But when it came to unstructured data, kind of what I'm hearing from you is, it's putting your problem-solving hat on, right? And talking Mm -hmm. to your IT uh, personnel and saying, what are the true risks at this company, right? And, And being a good listener, but also know... That getting a a, a a no answer of like oh no, there's no risk in unstructured data you you, know, you intuitively know that that's wrong, <laughs> but more importantly it's those soft skills of interviews, and yep. you know there's a saying in auditing you know um, it's it's you know trust, but verify, trust and verify so right. putting those soft skills to test so you you may not have. Every single IT, you know, subject matter expertise on what, you know, what's best practice for encryption versus non-encryption. It's more of asking the right question and then Mm -hmm. getting other key stakeholders to say, look, is this exactly what you want the IT department to do as well? You, director of sales, you, director of finance, because this is what's really going on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you know, you, I mean, you make a very good point, and I, I, you know, as you're as you're talking, I'm kind of thinking, you know, one of the the problem for internal audit professionals is as their as the scope of what they need to <clears throat> um, deal with expands to, you know, risk management per se, as opposed to um, just that the standard audit process you just described. Um, they really have to they have to be able to put on these different hats. I mean, and think, you know, IT people are are, a, a, you know. A, Accustomed to thinking about certain kinds of risk, um, but also their general counsel. You know, I mean, thinking about well, you know, um, and I'll give you here. I'll give you a great example <clears throat> um, in in the um, the legal space. You know, anytime two companies, uh, significant companies, are going to merge, there's there's always this this issue where the uh, Department of Justice or the FTC, one or the other, has to bless the merger because they're worried about the market impact. You know, if you end up with a monopoly. And and the way that the DOJ um does this <clears throat> is they request, you know, a huge number of documents. It's called a second request. They they request a huge number of documents relating to the market position of the company, blah, blah, blah. And and the, the lawyers basically review, you know, they collect all that, they sift it, they review it, and they hand it over to the DOJ and they say, here you go. And then the DOJ does its own analysis. Um, Well, when we were writing this article, it was roughly a year ago, um, and I don't want to use names, but you'll recognize there was a huge technology company that had acquired um, another technology company out of the UK, and um, you know it was a huge strategic asset, et cetera. And then, and then I think the new CEO ended up having to do about an eight billion dollar write-off on that um, because you know. And all the, you know, all the audit firms, There was, a, I mean, a lot of sophisticated people involved <clears throat> who'd done their due diligence, both for the company and for the auditors and so on. I think it was, you know, at least a couple of the big four involved, all doing great jobs doing what they do. And yet somehow something was missed, you know, to the tune of $8 billion. And of course, you know, from the legal side, we all look at, well, you know, one of the things that would be interesting for companies to do during a merger is not just a let the DOJ look at you know emails just from a you know uh, competitive uh, market share standpoint, but for the due diligence folks to proactively go out and mine some of the email from the company they 're acquiring as part of the deal and just say look you 're going to be looking for." You know, um, you're going to be looking for emails between, you know, the CFO and certain business unit leaders around, you know, inflated revenue recognition, things like that, which was apparently the issue in this case. And, you know, just that kind of basic mining of the unstructured data during due diligence Um, and on a volume basis, not just kind of the onesie, twosie emails that might be related to a transaction the auditors look at, Um, that sort of thing. It can it make an $8 billion difference. <clears throat> and it's relatively straightforward to do, and it's something the DOJ does, but the commercial, you know, the, the corporations engaged in the merger don't generally do. And it seems to make sense. And so, you know, somebody thinking from a lawyer's standpoint, an internal auditor thinking, you know, if this thing unwinds later on, you know, what's the kind of things that are going to unwind it? And how would I find it? I don't find it in the books of the company that I'm acquiring. I find it out in the email where people are discussing, you know, some of the, the shadier aspects of, of, you know, of revenue recognition or whatever, you know, so.
1: It's a classic. I mean, it's, it's not, we're not talking small dollars here. <laughs> $8 billion no. Dollars no. is huge. So, I mean, from a cost-benefit standpoint, because I know there's some, maybe some mid-sized companies that might be listening to the right. show, and they're saying, well, I, I, you know, I don't have the time or, and or budget to do something like that. But trust me, when it's that big of a transaction, right. it's almost like, why didn't you do it? You know, it, it, it's too big right. of a deal to fail. Therefore, dealing with unstructured data should have been at all included. You know you know how everybody – auditors love checklists, okay? So right. <laughs> imagine the master due diligence checklist, and one of them needs to now include this, you know, eva- at least the checklist should say the team really evaluated the risk uh, uh, surrounding unstructured data, like – you were stating, especially on revenue recognition, because a lot of these M&A deals are, are based around that revenue recognition right. model, okay. right? And they you know, and major net income uh, uh, items, you know, that, that impacted. So, I mean, it's almost like when it's too big of a deal, right, a, a, a deal size, it's almost like, yes, check the box, that has to be done, um, well-
0: I think that 's right and, and you know better than I do, but i 'm sure that those checklists of what is done and not done, uh, first of all they 've existed for a long time and they 're very reliable, <clears throat> and they 've probably up, been updated you know to accommodate certain aspects of technology and you know the accounting systems and so on and I would say until you know within the last several years, um, it, it could be you know certainly for some small and medium sized companies in, in smaller you m and A transactions, this kind of thing might be cost prohibitive or not worth it. It's sort of, but it's not now. I mean, I'd say the technology is there now to do this sort of thing. Um, you now you still want to be on a targeted basis. I mean, if the internal auditors are and in, in the auditors are, are, you know, engaging in, in any size um, merger acquisition, just think about the broader risk issues you might have beyond, you know, the the, the standard financial, uh, you know, controls and financial audit. What are the broader risk issues that might think this thing after the fact? And and just stop and think, are those the kinds of things I might find <clears throat> in unstructured data? There are risks, like you acquire an oil services company that uh, has environmental problems out in the field, and there are physical problems that nobody's talked about in email, you know, although it would be amazed at how much of that happens, too. But there are just certain kinds of risks that aren't mitigated. They're mitigated by going on-site and sampling water, you know, not by looking at email. But, but sitting and thinking about the kinds of risks that can really blow you know, uh, the valuation of a corporation by $8 billion, you know, <clears throat> and think, you know, could I could I learn a little bit more about, about that kind of risk by sampling, mining, looking at, and using some technology to do it really efficiently. You don't have to have, you know, hundreds of lawyers looking at documents. You can have, you know, a couple of people basically using technology smart for a month and uh, and just sampling. Um, so it's, it, it's just the awareness that that sort of risk is out there and that sort of opportunity that I think is the biggest thing probably missing from the internal audit world, it, and it's probably because they really have this larger risk management responsibility now. You know,
1: right, right. It just it's ever changing and also it's growing. And I wanted yeah. to switch to something also growing, <laughs> not only domestically but internationally, and that's mobile devices. Right. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I was reading an article about um, recently how the telecom right. Business, mm-hmm. So the Wi-Fi and the people who hook up the fiber optics for us to communicate with our mobile devices, that we are at a point, a tipping point, actually, where the data flow, right, just sheer megabytes, you, you follow, like the yep. data yep. And, and the capacity, right, to get that flow of data, we're at a point where there's just too much data that. The tele, the, this whole community is trying to address this issue of, you know, satellites and, and fiber optics, et cetera, because we are just a data, data, data culture, and it's, it's affecting our mobile devices. And so we're, we're at a point where they need to figure out a better solution to get that data across. So I wanted to find out from your perspective, okay, how are, how are you seeing organizations deal with unstructured data and the use of mobile devices?
0: you know um a couple of, and i've been involved in, it, in quite a few of those sorts of, of policy and technology implementations and so here here's kind of how it, it lays out um you know a, a good company now i think is 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 at least engaged in um and and has written you know that all companies for a long time have had a computer usage or internet usage policies what you can and can't do and so on you know um <clears throat> But but the, I think the more progressive ones now uh, have social media usage policies. They've kind of expanded their policies to say what you can and can't do from a user behavior standpoint on the internet. You know, you can't talk about the corporation on your personal Facebook account. You can't make representations about it. It's just stop that. You know, some of that's just user behavior, clarifying what you should and shouldn't do, and people kind of come along, you know, for the ride. Um, but um, and before I get to um, um, the mobile devices. They just want to finish social media. But some of the things that aren't really being dealt well with is is, is realizing that um, so much of that kind of unstructured data never goes away. We say that, but uh, if, just for example, and I've, I've not verified this fact, but I talk to uh, <clears throat> quite regularly to a company that specializes in collection of social media for for lawsuits and it's a it's a specialized skill and tool they've got. Uh, one of the things they mentioned to me once is, is they weren't sure people realized that the uh, l- the Library of Congress, I as I understand it, archives every tweet ever tweeted, you know, on Twitter. Um, <clears throat> now, you now I've not ever verified that, but um, you see the same thing though. If any of you who have. Uh, you know a google gmail email account you know and you think you're deleting your emails you're not you're simply deleting them from the view that that google um, uh, basically tends to I think this is true of many organizations i don't mean to single them out but you'll you'll notice that they tend to archive everything even something that you think you're deleting they tend to archive it and one reason is um, that stuff is is a gold mine from a mining standpoint, they can mine that sorts of thing, and you know, and figure out people's consumer behavior and so on. So that there's a lot of data preservation of what we do on the internet and mining of it. You know, we're concerned about the NSA, but the corporations are doing it and doing it, you know, to a fairly well. Um, and so, and I don't think that's that's at all. I think that's common knowledge now. And so that it, whatever happens on the internet. You can just assume it is trapped, it is replicated, it is mined and it's analyzed on an automated basis by a whole lot of people. <clears throat> Long comes the mobile devices and what you now have is it's so darn easy. Um I you know, I find even in my own family I, I communicate by email, and I'm a dinosaur. You know, they are. They are facebooking and tweeting, and there's Marketing. always
1: you know, <laughs> new new uh,
0: new types yeah. of communication, Snapchatting, that I don't even you know didn't know existed. You know, and I, my kids kind of keep me up to date. Um, and so those devices you know proliferate, and what happens is that people lose track of the corporate personal distinction. They've got both kinds of data on their device. They want their device to access their personal accounts but also corporate applications and so on. Now you know, one good – besides having explicit policies that deal with this and some education because people, a lot of times, they don't know what they're doing. They're just doing things on their device. They they can't, from an IT standpoint, know is this on the corporate system versus this is on my personal system. You know, after years of supporting end users as a CIO, I can tell you they don't often know that difference, but – um, there are very good, you know, one recommendation to you know your audience would be if you've got pressure to to allow access to corporate data and corporate systems you know, from a variety of mobile devices, a, a BYOD, bring your own device policy. <clears throat> in addition to the policy, make sure from the beginning that you're pairing that up with one of the, the many mobile device management systems. I mean, one of them that's – there are now dozens of these that are very good. Uh, just one I throw off the top. AirWatch, you know, is, is one that's like kind of at the – you know, one of the leaders in this category. Um, but these these things are very good at allowing the corporation to have very granular control over – access to corporate applications, segregating corporate data from personal data on these devices, allowing the corporation to go out and collect corporate data if they want, but to hide personal data if they want, um, to be able to, if somebody leaves the company, to to be able to reach out to that device and and erase corporate applications, access rights, corporate data, etc. There's a really high degree of granular control. So for sure, you need a social media policy, a bring your own device policy, and you need one of these mobile device management applications to, to manage those things. Um, yeah. They also, of course, can be used to mine and monitor if, if you so choose.
1: Yeah, there's a, a couple of quick stories. Um, I know of a, a big four accounting firm where uh, they have a policy that if your laptop, right, <clears throat> so it, it's moving around client to client, if you were to, to lose it, their policy is you got to report it within, you know, five, ten minutes, if that, right? you got to report it immediately. There's a, a 1-800 number, and, and there's a code, and you, you have an employee ID number. And your entire laptop is completely wiped out. It doesn't yep. matter what, what, if you had personal items, pictures, photos, whatever it may be, personal. They don't care. They said that's our equipment. Um, and that's wiped out. Now, they have a policy that your mobile device cannot access any of their stuff. Okay. So, you know, th- th- that, that's one firm that's kind of taken it to two to, to, to different extremes, right? One is, right. okay, we're giving you the equipment and we're, we're getting rid of it. And by the way, mobile devices just X on that. So I literally yep. see some people from that firm have two phones. Right. right. They've got right. <laughs> their personal phone and then something else that, that's kind of work-related, but then kind of dovetailing to, um, this is a chief audit executive I know at a bank, uh, fairly sar- larger, on the larger size of a mid- mid-tier bank. And they decided that they were going to do a vendor audit for their leased fax machines. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and in the audit process, they actually went on site to this vendor, Okay. And they said, well, what, what happens when you collect our outdated uh, uh, leased equipment and, and what do you do with it, et cetera? And in the interview process, um, they, they were asking some of the technicians there at this vendor, like, well, you know, what does this thing actually have in it? And lo and behold, it has a chip in it that records every single fax and could reproduce okay, with clarity every image, right, every fax that you've sent out. And I said, well, what's your policy of wiping that out? Like, oh, we actually don't. (laughs) That's right. They were were flabbergasted, as you can imagine, because guess what's in a bank fax? Social security numbers, uh, account numbers, wire information, account balance information. (laughs) If you want to talk about identity theft, potential gone way wrong, it's right. that. So they brought in legal counsel you know, and said, we've got, we've got a major issue, okay, because we don't know the scope of this. We don't know who's had access to this. We thought the vendor was taking care of it, et cetera. So it, sometimes it's not even just a mobile device. It's just equipment in general that has corporate data that you don't realize how it could easily reperform a function of something that is highly valuable to the corporation, like a fax machine that you're using.
0: Right, right. You know, in fact, you know, <clears throat> we see that on the on the legal side all the time. We have an obligation. Um, you know, when somebody hires me to consult on a case, I mean, it is my job to think through all those different places where we – where our client or the opposing side or the government, you know, whatever, um, has <clears> – <throat> Um, the kinds of data we're interested in, and, and you're exactly right. You know, especially you know, as copy machines as they get increasingly smart and they're used for scanning and faxing and and copying and so on. You, you know, there's a certain amount of of data, of certain types that is that is tracked on. They have hard drives now. They didn't used to have hard drives. They have hard drives, um, and you know, and just one of the interesting buzzwords um, your audience you know is going to hear is of course there's sort of a, an uptick towards the Internet of Things, as they call it. Well, what that means is, you know, we're not talking about computing and mobile de- and communications devices anymore, which is what we typically think of. But, but, you know, um, home appliances and corporate, um, you know, smart boards, you know, so everything is starting to get a chip and a hard drive and track data for all the, you know, all the things that make us more efficient or more convenient. And so, the, you know, the Internet of Things is going to also in addition to this proliferation of communication devices, um, there's this proliferation of things that have chips in them, cars obviously now. You know, I mean cars are sending off signals and tracking um, where you're at. So the location of a customer – and you, you know this is going to be extremely important to some corporations to – you know, I, I assume – I don't know anything about this, but I would assume at some point uh, the GMs or the on-stars of the world will be tracking – I'll give you an example. Um, in I did a project for the wine and spirits industry. Where there is, you know, they do a lot of driving around with important assets. And um, there are now third-party services that will track where the driver goes, how long they stop someplace, did they take a diversion, that sort of thing. And when I was helping them with their records management policy, I said, you know, that's good information for you to have to manage your people. But at a certain point, you want to make sure that data is deleted by the third-party service Otherwise, what are they going to do with it? They're going to mine that kind of information about consumer behavior, truck drivers, et cetera. They're going to resell that. As an asset, they're going to make money on it, and you've also got the downstream litigation risks. You know, it's good for you to know that your guy stopped off at a bar to have one, but it's a bad thing if the opposing side in the lawsuit says you've got a bunch of people who are constantly drinking and driving, and you're not managing that. Um, right. So that's sort of yeah, in, in thinking through the risks of that, you know, depending on your business, you know, of the. Internet of things that now is tracking data forever and mining it for commercial purposes um, is kind of uh, also a risk to, to consider
1: yeah yeah no it's a huge risk and it's something that these are new these are new questions that again both auditors and sometimes compliance people forget to keep asking is so what happens to the data when right yes. and then fill in the blank so yep. you've captured the data where okay what happens to it x y z you follow like afterwards so it's 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 kind of putting again that problem solving thinking hat on and saying Okay. It, 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 let's assume it, it, it's, it's a real physical asset. Okay. Well, what do I do with the chair? Well, I've got to get rid of it. Well, who's signing off on that? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera you follow? So you can mm-hmm. almost use the same um, inquiry skill sets, right?
0: That's right. Of, of
1: a physical asset, and just say, well, okay, what happens to that asset when it goes through this trail of disposal, et cetera? So, yep. um, I really appreciate that 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 kind of clarity, and I. I AirWatch. I've heard it twice actually, and um, it, it's it's a very sophisticated uh, program, and it has a lot, of, just a ton of um, robust features. So I'm kind of glad that you shared that with our audience. But um, I know our time is is wrapping up here, and I wanted to say that this was just a very wonderful and insightful uh, interview with you, Bill. And and just as a reminder for people who are listening, you can find uh, Bill's article on unstructured data online at the Journal of Accountancy, located at uh, uh, journalofaccountancy.com. And this is Sonia Luna, CEO and founder of Aviva Spectrum, signing off.
0: Thank you, Sonia.